catch those springtime vibes all over Arizona. Break out of the winter blues by hitting the water at one of our lake and river parks. Take a hike among the wildflowers. Just make sure to stay on the trails and leave the flowers for the bees. Discover Arizona's best kept secret and visit azstateparks.com slash amazing to start your springtime adventure. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get three-pound rolls of juicy 80% lean ground beef for $3.49 a pound with a digital coupon. Then get select varieties of flavorful Powerade, Body Armor Super Drink, or Arizona Tea for 77 cents each, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Get ready, Ohio. FanDuel, America's number one sports book, is coming to the Buckeye State. And to kick things off, you can get started with $100 in free bets as an early sign-up bonus. Plus, when you sign up today with promo code OHIOFD, you'll be all set when FanDuel goes live in Ohio. Then you can bet on all your favorite teams in all your favorite sports with $100 in free bets. Just download FanDuel's top-rated sportsbook app. It's safe, secure, and super easy to use. Ohio, this is your chance to get in on the action. Join today with promo code OHIOFD. Make every moment more with FanDuel, official sportsbook partner of the NFL. 21 or older and present in Ohio. Bonus issued in non-withdrawable free bets that expire seven days after FanDuel accepts its first real money sports wager in Ohio. one Unique user identity verification required. Offer ends on the go-live date. Restrictions apply. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. When your entire life is online, you need more than just speed from your internet. Xfinity gives you reliable in-home Wi-Fi coverage, plus protection from Wi-Fi network threats. Check out our amazing offers on Xfinity Internet. You'll get fast speed and Wi-Fi coverage you can count on. Plus, get advanced security free with the XFi Gateway, so you can keep the connected devices in your home protected from network threats. Just log in and activate through the Xfinity app. Go online, call 1-800-XFINITY, or visit a store today to learn more. Restrictions apply. At Lowe's, we're your go-to for great gardening values every day. That's why we've lowered our price on select bagged mulch, now starting at just $2.88 a bag. Mulch helps prevent weeds and retains moisture, and when you put it down around trees, shrubs, and flower beds, you'll see how beautiful it makes your outdoor space, just in time to welcome back family and friends. Shop online and pick up in-store. Lowe's, home to the best part of summer. Selection and product availability vary by location. While supplies last, U.S. only excludes Alaska and Hawaii. All right, it's another film study for week 13. We're going to take a look at the offense. Ken McCusick, how you doing? Life's good, Josh. How about you? I'm all good down here. And Michael Crawford, 
Uh, would you take three COVID tests to make sure it wasn't a false positive to do this podcast? Uh, I would definitely do that. Uh, or I would go home and crack open the wine and just start <laughs> tweeting. So, <laughs> right. right. At least the tweeting stopped once the wine opened up on Sunday or Tuesday. You know, it's really interesting if, if, if he would blame liquor for that because it all happened very quickly. I don't, I don't think any of that was liquor related. No, he come. I think the tweet and stopped when the liquor came out. Gotcha. But uh, gotcha. I did see. Yeah, today he had what two negative tests today. So yeah. it's uh, that. and he was also added to the COVID list today. Officially, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Which, so, so that all makes sense, weird. right? <laughs> Just like the most awkward television so far this season of the four NFL announcers talking pregame about Des Bryant. Mm-hmm. So, but let's get into uh, let's get into this game and kind of not the pregame, but actual ball game. Yeah. So, Michael, we always start off with this kind of a question. But what what do you take positive from this game? Obviously, anything you take positive has to be scaled back to the opponent in this game, the Dallas Cowboys, who were uh, less than intimidating. Yeah, um, I think people who were. Uh, kind of reading up or getting up to speed on the Cowboys going into this game, saw where they were ranked defensively, uh, particularly against the run. And uh, we we were not disappointed as Ravens fans. We got everything that we wanted out of that. So you're right. I think you kind of have to temper uh, what you take away from this game. But for me, I, I, you probably feel the same, and a lot of fans probably do because of where the Ravens are uh, situationally. It's a win. And so you'll take that however it looks, whoever it's against, um, they're they're in that mode where they, they essentially need to win every game. Yeah, my, certainly a much needed win, and you know to win that game without some key players, still without Andrews, still without Judon, still without Snead, uh, is impressive. And uh, obviously to 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 come away with that win, a very important one. We're going to talk about the offense tonight and uh, and what came out of that. Uh, we'll start with the offensive line as we always do. I uh, want to talk a little bit about the the overall scoring to start with. And do we have a reader we need to do first, Josh? You caught me as I took a bite of my donut sitting here. <laughs> I was going to save it. I thought, okay, we'll get it into the mailbag. But, yeah, let's talk about my bookie right now. With the Christmas holidays right around the corner, my bookie has been in the given mood. So head on over to my bookie. That's a sports book that's supposed to be in the business of making money, but they're giving it away. And that's just one of the reasons why I've been rolling with my bookie this season. Make your deposit using the promo code Ravens, and they'll match you halfway, giving you a head start on building your bankroll. Put $200 in, and you'll get an extra $100 to play with. Joining the deposit is a simple process, and it's quick. And more importantly, when it's time to get paid, that's quick too. So treat yourself to some extra cash in your pocket this holiday season by investing in your intuition. It's not just winter season, it's winter season. It's winning season. So bet win, bet, win and get paid at my bookie. This new reader's a little confusing there at the end for me. But well, the key is, use the code RAVENS when you sign up, and they'll give you some free money to bet with. Very key. Investing in your intuition. I love that. So whoever came up with that is a smart guy. And uh, Let's start about the line on this game, Michael, because uh, the coming game against the Browns, the Ravens have a 55% implied win probability by the best available lines. I did not check my bookie for this, but uh, Josh can do that while we're looking. Uh, the Ravens are favored in this game on the money line, which is, you know, frankly, a little surprising, I think. 
yeah, I, I am a little surprised. I didn't know that. Uh, literally just, just learned it just now. Uh, and I am a little surprised by that. I mean, the, the Browns are 9-3. and three. Mm-hmm. Um, I know before their game last week against the Titans, there was still kind of a little bit of a question of, you know, who have they faced and, and who have they beaten in terms of competition. I think people uh, around the league, certainly Ravens fans, got to see what the Titans are all about uh, repeatedly uh, over the last couple of years. So I really felt like that was a quality win for the Browns. And, and not just, I mean, it was in dominant fashion in that first half. So uh, Titans certainly came back and made a game of it in the second half, but uh, the Browns were able to hang on. So, yeah, I'm a, I'm a little surprised by that. By that line. The, the line on my bookie is two points. It's a two-point spread in favor okay. of the Ravens. And that would make sense. Two or two and a half for a 55% implied win probability. So that kind of makes sense. Uh, so anyway, a l- little bit surprising on that. We'll, we'll see where that goes. I know we don't want to test your very divided loyalties at this time, Michael. So we're going to move on and talk about the Ravens offensive line, where I know you have only positive things to say. So first of all, let's talk a little about some of the overall scoring in the game and set up why these grades are so damn good this week. But the Ravens played only 54 offensive snaps. One of the things about this game, they lost the snap count 77 to 54 to Dallas. Did not know that. I did not. When you, you, because of how dominant they were in the run game, how many yards they racked up, just the eyeball test, um, you know, without knowing the numbers, you probably, I know I did, you come away from it thinking, oh, well, they, they, they probably, if not outsnapped Dallas, at least somewhere close. But uh, mm-hmm. that is a bigger discrepancy than, than I would have thought. Well, scored quickly a couple times, you know, some short drives to score, even running the ball, you know, they're running at 15 yards at a time. So that wasn't, that wasn't very difficult. What was more uh, problematic was Dallas had 29 first downs in the game. That's the eighth highest total in team history. And 33 is the most they've ever allowed in a game, by the way. And, you know, there've, there've been some bad Ravens defenses in the early years in particular that you would have thought it might've happened more. It's actually the 2012 Torrey Smith game. They gave up 33 first downs to the New England Patriots. And they also gave up only one play of 20 plus yards. So the Cowboys ended up with the oddball stat line of 29 first downs, 28 of them not by penalty, and 388 offensive yards in the game. Make sense of that trifecta for me. I don't know that I can. I want to say it's it's the ultimate bend don't break uh, situation. Uh, obviously, they were helped out a little bit by uh, Greg Zerline, he decided he didn't want to make field goals. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that, that also uh, helped them out from a scoring perspective. But yeah, I think when, when I think back to that game, um, you know, the Cowboys were, were able to hit a few runs, you know, they were able to pop a few runs, but I think the passing game is probably what people really were kind of focused on and just how quickly Andy Dalton was getting the ball out uh, in general, you know, uh, until sort of later in the game or when maybe he had to hold it a little bit they're trying to get the ball down the field. But it was sort of just dinking and dunking there. And, and, and you know, a 10- or 13-yard game is not necessarily a, a dink, per se. But uh, he was pretty efficient that way for most of the game. Okay, so 15 passes of 10-plus yards for Dalton. Only one play. The 4th and 19 went for 28 yards. That was the first play in the entire game of 20-plus yards. Didn't happen until the final minute. So... Interesting set of circumstances. Let's get back to the offensive line here, though, for the Ravens. I just want to set that up with the 54 scored snaps. The Ravens did not get penalized on the offensive line. They did not allow any sacks. They did not allow any quarterback hits. In fact, they allowed five pressures in 17 dropbacks. That's not particularly good. That's a little bit high for that amount of time. Uh, Lamar also helped Phillips out of a couple of 
uh, pressures that I'll talk about a little later, but he ran out of pressures for, for positive run gains. They had ample time and space on nine of 17 dropbacks, 53%, which I believe is the highest of the year. I didn't actually check that to make sure that was right, but I don't remember anything close to 53% in the previous game. So that's really a, a remarkable total. And the running game included just one run for a loss that was charged the offensive line. I don't know if they had one other run for a loss that wasn't. I didn't also go back and check that, but only one was charged to the offensive line. Didn't seem like there was anything they could do wrong on the ground versus the Cowboys in that game. And did I hear you correctly where you said there were no offensive, uh, no penalties on the offensive line? On the offensive line. There were offensive penalties, none on the offensive line. That's very encouraging. Yes. Uh, penalties has, has been a, a bugaboo throughout this season. So uh, for the offensive line to play a game, uh, that clean move in that respect is really kind of encouraging. Uh, I do. I, you're right. It's a, the, the wording. You have to be careful there because you specifically said the offensive line. Because I remember um, it's like death and taxes at this point, the illegal formation penalty. We're going to get one of those at least one every day. <laughs> yeah. And that one was not a deep set by a tackle, which is often the problem. That one was a receiver lined up on the wrong side of the field. So that was a, a one of those problems. Don't know if you also noticed it. Almost did have an offensive line penalty, but Jackson walked up to the line of scrimmage, moved Matt Skura over from right to left on one play to, to make the formation illegal. Yeah, I do remember that one. I actually watched it um, uh, just just this evening, actually. And so, yeah, you see him move Skura over from the right to the left, and then you see motion DuVernay up on the line on the right side. Like, hey, man, get up on the line over there. So uh, good awareness by Lamar uh, to see what was going on and what needed to be done and got everybody lined up correctly. You know, with the number of penalties they've had of that type, somebody out there needs to be responsible for the illegal formation penalties. And you can get out of them with a timeout. We've heard that now recently. A timeout is generally going to be worth it to avoid a five-yard penalty. Not always, but it's generally going to be worth it. And somebody, maybe a running back, the only other person is really Lamar or maybe a wide receiver that's split wide and at the line of scrimmage can also check to make sure that the other side is good. Any of those three can do it. Somebody's got to be responsible on that offense for quality control on the field. Not to mention the fact that somebody needs to be responsible for it in the booth and talking to the helmet. Do you have any thought on why they've had so many this year? Or why, I don't, I don't, that might be the wrong way to phrase it, but why it's been so frequent? There have been multiple problems of this type. They've had 10 men on the field a couple of times this year. They've done it on defense a couple of times this year. And that's just not good quality control coaching. That's, that's what it really comes down to, because you should, you should be catching that. Somebody should be screaming to, to, to get the timeout called on a 10-man play. One of those 10-man play, I don't know if you remember this going back, was on fourth and six. Not a trivial leverage play. I think we'll agree. Yeah, not at all. Yeah. So anyway, let's move on from these penalties for a second, because they didn't have any this week, and we want to talk yeah. about something positive. So Orlando Brown, another solid game. Two pressures allowed, five missed blocks. Five miss blocks is kind of a lot for a for a fifty four snap game, but still pretty good. Uh, most frequently lined up against Alden Smith in the game. He made three of his four pulls. Orlando Brown is taking a methodical approach to playing left tackle right now that I think may be related to really trying to avoid injury. Okay, and I I don't want to intimate that he's not playing hard. He is. He's just playing smart, is what I would say. On his pulls. When they when he pulls, it's usually a two man pull from left to right. Obviously, you know this because you know you did a wonderful presentation on the concept for us at that analytics meeting a year ago. 
but but it, it uh, it's usually a two man poll. So Bozeman makes the first choice of a poll. Brown gets whatever's left over, and sometimes that can be nothing. And he he's he's been trying to make it through cleanly into level two, looking around for a block, but not just running too hard after it to get after it while he's doing that. And uh, on the other side of the line, on the back side, where he sometimes has trouble contributing to a run play, uh, he's been more trying to get positional with his opponent. And that's gotten him in trouble a couple times. Uh, so it's a, a thing where if there's a reverse of field, then it could end up that he doesn't block a guy who ends up making the tackle. And that did happen in this game once. I, I, generally speaking, he, he's been ex- extremely good. He's been way better than the Ravens could have hoped for moving to left tackle. Just little things about his play that have been a little bit different in the last few weeks. Yeah, and what I've noticed uh, as I continue to, to chart the run game, I have kept that up. Um, they've started to to call the counter a little more. Um, I would say earlier in the season, you really didn't see it much at all, uh, but you started to see it a little more over the last couple of weeks. Not a ton, still not a ton. Three times a game, though? I mean, we're, we're seeing it a lot. Yeah, so you're, you, well, com, you know, by comparison, right, by comparison, yeah, compared to, to what we yeah. were seeing before, which was zero. Uh, but, you know, when people think back to him at Oklahoma, they ran a lot of what they call GT counter in Oklahoma with him being one of the pullers, that second puller, because he played left tackle there. So, you know, it's a play he knows, it's a play he's comfortable with. And I've been really impressed with uh, how he's, you know, acquitted himself at left tackle. And look, he was already going to make some money as one of the better young right tackles in the league. But with this ability to to flip and, and play that other side at a, at a solid level, uh, the, the, the price tag is just going up. Yeah, I, I would agree. I'm, I, I'm almost thinking he's out of the Ravens' price range at this point. They're, they've kind of already committed themselves to Stanley, so it's not a matter of, of having a choice at this point. Um, two out of five last week for Brown uh, pulling, and I, I, it had to be at least four of those were counters. Maybe one of them was an outside the tight end pull to the left. Okay, so that, that can happen too, but most of them were, were, were pulls to, headed to the right side. And uh, and three out of four this week, including uh, executing the fake that that he's required to do on a lot of these plays, actually go left while he's pulling right. You want to tell yeah. folks why that happens. Yeah, so I mean, we could talk about the um, the touchdown that Lamar had. Um, that play has been pretty good to them this year. Uh, they've they've hit a, they've hit a couple of long runs and a couple of touchdowns. People might remember the Eagles game. Uh, it was another one where I think it was that same play. I call it counter bash. Other people call it QB counter. Um, you, you hear a lot of different terminology for it, as as is the way in football, right? There's there's a lot of different ways to describe things. But the B and the A in the word bash stand for back away. So when you think about the typical counter play, what you'll have is a running back usually taking a counter step, right? His first step is away mm-hmm. from where he's ultimately going to run. And then two pullers from the backside, uh, will then pull front side. So let's just think about it going from left to right, right? So the left tackle and left guard are pulling, and the running back's going to take that counter step for a timing, you know, for timing purposes, and then get in behind those pulls. But what happens on bash is the back actually goes away from the pullers. So the pullers continue to pull from left to right. The back goes to the left, mm-hmm. kind of a wide track, and the quarterback now can keep the ball and get in behind the pullers. So you get some of that misdirection action. Uh, we saw it on that play against the Cowboys. Leighton Vander Esch was in position to make the play on Lamar and then took himself out of position as he looked over at, I think it was Dobbins was the back on that play, who was going out wide to the left. 
and just pulled himself right out of position. They already didn't have a safety in the middle of the field. So once Van Der Esch uh, vacated, that was it, right? It was a parting of the waters. So right. um, we've seen that play a couple of times this year. and It's been really good for him. Yeah, beautiful play there. Van Der Esch uh, obviously lost. I think he lost sight of the football behind Phillips, who'd made an excellent seal in the middle there. And so he had the inside block to, to seal the inside. That's what sealing is. And uh, uh, it looked like Van Der Esch could not see past that mountain of humanity there uh, it, to see where the football was. And, you know, it's, it's a spot where I think maybe is, does he need to be more aware and know that if I take this decision, it's a permanent six-point decision. But if I stay here, I might cost us 15 yards, but at least it's not a touchdown. Yeah, I think it's one of those things where you've got to trust um, the structure of the defense and the defensive call and your teammates, right? So you go back and you look at that play. I think it's Jalen Smith who's mm-hmm. sort of peeling off with, uh, with J.K. Dobbins. So they have a person for the running back, right? So he's got a gap. Van Der Esch has a gap on that play. And I, don't, I don't know if it's the front side A gap or back, or if he's two gap and maybe he's, he's got front side A and back side B or something like that. But whatever it is, He's got a gap responsibility. And so you have to honor that first and foremost and then react to where the ball goes. So to your point, you know, I I think we as as fans probably um, don't appreciate that point you just made um, as much as we should. Just how hard it can be sometimes to see the ball uh, for for where some of these guys are. So you could tell by his initial positioning that, you know, he, he, he had some understanding of what his gap responsibility was and he was trying to play it. And then to your point, maybe he just lost sight of the ball. He doesn't know whether Lamar or the back has the ball. He thinks the back has it, so he goes to flow, and, and he's wrong. So it's tough. It was a tough spot for him, and I know there was a lot of clips of him around Twitter and people breaking it down, kind of giving him a hard time. But, you know, I just think he was kind of in a tough spot there. All right. Uh, moving on, Bradley Bozeman. He had, a, he had his worst game in more than a year last week. Bounced back with a very good game. One pressure, one penetration allowed. He's the only one who gave up the penetration this week for a, for, on a run loss. Uh, three missed blocks, 13 of 15 on pulls. That was really terrific. And Bradley, by the way, has had some tough two-way assignments where he's had a tough three-gap on his own side, like Cam Hayward last week, and then had to pull to get, say, T.J. Watt last week. This week he was pulling, and a lot of it was Lawrence that he was having to do. He's also getting some level two uh, blocks, but a lot of his pulls were actually meeting a player in the backfield with that first block. Yeah, he's he and and uh, you know, we just we just talked about uh, Orlando Brown Jr. Those those have been the anchors uh, on this line. Obviously, Orlando's playing in a different position, but um, Brad Bradley's been at that left guard spot, still doing a very solid job at that spot. And you mentioned it. Um, maybe not as much this week, even though I, I definitely think Lawrence did some of it. But think back to the Pittsburgh game with Watt. <laughs> that guy was just crashing into the backfield. And so, you know, sometimes he's taking himself out of the play by, by how deep he's getting, you know, up the field into the backfield. And so you, you really don't have an opportunity to even make a block. But other times he's coming flatter down the line of scrimmage. And I remember Tony Dungy talking about this in a clinic, year old clinic, right? Mm-hmm. He was still a defensive coordinator at this time, where he would talk about the advantage you have as a defender, even a DB. He said, look, if you can meet that pulling offensive lineman um, before he turns up the field, like he's still running parallel, you can blow him up, right? He might have the advantage once he turns up field in terms of side and 
uh, size and acceleration and momentum. But if you can get him while he's running parallel, especially if you want to go bowling ball style and, and, and take his right. legs out, uh, you can really take the advantage back um, by, by being aggressive that way. So I think we I've seen that uh, as I've charted the run game over the last couple of games with, um, you know, that defender to that side being really aggressive with how he plays that pull block and really trying to meet it deeper, and de- deep, not deeper, flatter. Uh, into the backfield is probably a better way to describe. Right, it. so he's, he's he's crossing the line of scrimmage directly with the the potential path leading him even to the opposite side of the formation. And this is something Terrell Suggs used to do a lot when he would be able to get in underneath, and he had no qualms about submarining one or two men pulling. So that counter bash concept would come up to Suggs's side, he would go low, and he'd take two guys out of the play. Could be a could be a pulling guard and a fullback at the same time. Could be a pulling guard a pulling tackle. But he, 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 one of the few edge defenders I've ever seen that really had the savvy to understand how to deal exactly with that in terms of going low and, and taking out multiple players on the same pull. Yeah, and I think that just speaks to his greatness once again. Yeah. Uh, because a lot of times you'll hear coaches uh, teach guys to do the opposite, right? Don't mm-hmm. trade one for one. Don't, yeah. don't take yourself out of the play uh, to, to chop a guy down because now there's one less defender who can recover. But he's like, look, I know what I can do. I can create a collision in the yes. backfield, and we're going to get a negative play out of this. Yeah, that's exactly right. And I, I think missed tackle understanding is at not a very high level. And you and I have had discussions about this that, you know, there's there's multiple things you can do to a runner to mess him up while you're in the process of missing a tackle. And when you miss that tackle in the backfield, it's often a positive result and not a, not a negative. And you know, systems like PFF and others uh, will 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 chuck a, a missed tackle on you. But the truth of the matter is you've probably created a positive event by missing a tackle and turning a guy 30 degrees or turning a guy 145 degrees in some cases where, you know, he's actually turned in the wrong direction. Now needs to reset himself, re-get his acceleration and, and velocity going, all those things. And all of a sudden he's swarmed over by, you know, multiple defenders. Absolutely. They are not all created equal. All right, let's move on here. Uh, Bradley Bozeman, uh, I, one of the things that comes back out of this is I don't think there's any way they're going to move Bradley Bozeman. There has been talk about this and a, you know, it's interesting because you watch the ebb and flow of Twitter and it's always the backup quarterback's always the most popular guy. Well, when you when you great offensive line play, the backup right tackle, the backup center, they're the most popular people in town. <laughs> and uh, everybody seems to want to see Bradley Bozeman move to center. And there are reasons why it might be a good idea, but he's too valuable to the team as a left guard. He's the he's the the rock of a puller that they have. Yeah, I totally agree. I, and I, I know some of those people on Twitter who would like to see Bradley <laughs> Bozeman uh, see more time or start at center. Uh, and and again, I, I can see the allure of it. I can see why they they would want to see that. But to your point, um, you know, Bozeman has just really solidified that spot. And I don't know with. everything else that they've had to do on the offensive line this year, I don't know why you would want to destabilize a spot when you don't have to, if you don't really see it as a clear upgrade. And I don't know that um, swapping him for Makari would be a clear, clear upgrade. I mean, I think Makari has been solid. I mean, look, we're not talking about, um, you know, first team all pro center, but um, he still played at a very solid and, and sort of consistent level, I think, especially in this Dallas game. Yes, he, he played wonderfully uh, here, and he and he played well in the New England game as well. Uh, he missed the the uh, 
Where, where, did, where was he? Did he move to right guard? Where was he for the for the other game? McCary versus the not the Steelers. Well, the, you know, so the Patriots he went out the right tackle for a little while, right? Right, and he was at center for the rest of the game. Yeah, you're saying, and, you're saying was it Titans? I guess it had to be the Titans because it wasn't the Steelers, I didn't think. So he must have missed a game in there. I'm, I'm trying to put the pieces together in my mind. I can't remember if he started at right tackle in that game and maybe wasn't quite as good. Ah, I'll go back and figure it out. Not important. I'd do it right now. B for Bozeman. Let's move on to McCarry at center. No negative events in the game. Three missed blocks. Twice shed. Now, this is an, there's an interesting dynamic going on. And I, I, you know, I, I heard some flack today about DJ Fluker. And the fact Fluker did not, he had a zero score, but not a negative score for being thrown down violently to the ground on one run play where his defender then stopped Dobbins for no gain. I want to explain that a little bit, what's kind of going on is that, first of all, shed, the action verb shed shows up in my notes all the time. And it typically means that the offensive lineman is thrown to the ground by a defender. And most often it occurs to the shorter armed offensive lineman. So it's an inherent disadvantage that the longer arm defensive lineman can take advantage of a short arm defensive lineman, shed him to the ground before he can get to the body and, and do the things he needs to do. It's very rare that one of the longest arm pairs of arms in the entire NFL, namely DJ Fluker, would suffer that fate to an offensive lineman and get thrown to the ground. So when it happens, it's, I think, maybe somehow extraordinary. It certainly looked very bad on, on the video, but the truth of the matter was, it was just a, a you know, a, a no-gain play. So in trying to ascribe a score for that, I don't have a negative two to assign as I would if it were a loss on the play. So I just have a zero to assign to Fluker. So you got a zero. Point was made is is shouldn't you be doing something more when Fluker is made to look like a little girl on that play? And I said, well, it, you know, if you if you watch offensive line play with the interior guys, particularly the short armed ones, happens all the time, much greater frequency, three three four times a game sometimes for McCary or even Bozeman, uh, you know, will occasionally get these shed notes on their uh, on their score sheets, and it just, I think it just happens very rarely to Fluker. And that's why people want to see him penalized for it. And it's the visual. You, you touched mm-hmm. on it. I think it's the visual nature of it, too. It's so violent. <laughs> you know, it looks so bad uh, when it happens. Because oftentimes, um, the offensive lineman is off balance, right? He gets out over his toes a mm-hmm. little bit. Because, uh, again, they're taught to fire off the ball, right? So they're coming with pad, you know, low pad level, come off the ball. And so all of that momentum is sort of out over your toes. And then if a guy continues to pull you and then just kind of torque you down or torque you to the left or the right, it's pretty easy uh, to do that to you. And it looks really bad because it's not just their strength and power. It's your own momentum that's carrying you. Yes. Uh, so it, it looks pretty violent. But to your point, what people have to remember is defensive linemen, they don't get paid to stay on blocks. Okay, this is, not, mm-hmm. this is not what they're out there to do. They're going to shed and escape blocks. That's what they're coached to do. And oftentimes in the run game, you know, if you can hold a block, I, I, I don't I don't have it down to like frame rate or seconds like like you and, and probably some others do. But you're not typically going to hold the block for that long. Right. You're trying to obviously you right. finish, but it doesn't happen that way often because typically the defensive linemen are better athletes than yeah. the offensive linemen in the NFL. So sometimes a stalemate is a win. You know, oh, it's a, a it's a big a win. Yeah, it's a it's a big win, Michael. And it's one of the big things that I don't think is re- is reflected properly in other grading systems is holding the back end of what is initially a double team. 
So you, 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 your partner combos up to level two to make his block after he's teed up your guy, set him, pinned him, whatever you want to call it, uh, for you. That still represents some difficulty. Hopefully he's got him off his pins a little bit. He's got him you know, in a position where his, his feet aren't quite set right because he went from a double to a single. But that's, that doesn't always work that way. And holding the back end of a double team for that extra second is really valuable and an undervalued skill. And I think oftentimes uh, you know, a, a system will grade a zero on a play like that and it's it's really not, and it's and it's it's really poor when combined with negative scores for every yard or yard and a half of of push they give up. You're not getting the relative valuation of those two, two things correctly. You can probably guess yeah. who I'm talking about right now in terms of grading. I can't flip it around though from the defensive perspective. Mm-hmm. I think it's really easy to understand. How yeah. many times <laughs> do you see Brandon Williams get double teamed, and when that guy, that first guy, leaves, and now he's alone on that that second guy? just tosses that guy and he goes and makes a play so it's very valuable to be able to stay on that second part of the double team block like you said or at a at a minimum stalemate the guy right so that the back has a chance to make his cut and get up the field yeah but, there you go you know it, it just looks bad right <laughs> yeah absolutely uh talking about mccary again now in the same way that bozeman i think is going to stay at left guard i now think mccary will be at center the rest of the season i don't see a situation where they're going to be tempted to move him to right tackle again. It could come up by emergency, but they now have two guys there who are, who are, you know, trying to do the job. And we'll talk about that in a little bit. They've had generally pretty good right tackle play with the exception of about a half and a half, meaning one and a half games since Stanley got knocked out against the Steelers, which was now six, almost six games ago. That's really a pretty good run for what they could have expected to get out of these players. And, and uh, uh, I, I don't see McCary moving to right tackle again. I, I, I didn't think it was a good idea, honestly, when it happened. He happened to play very well in the rain at New England. But I don't think that, that they're going to want to move him from center after a good performance here. The only snap problem was one Lamar had in terms of not collecting it properly. Yeah, and that one was on Lamar. Um, you know, that we, we've seen some snaps that were not on Lamar uh, mm-hmm. know, from, from Skura, unfortunately. And I feel badly for him because I think we all could think back to the kind of year he was having last year before that Rams game and, yeah. and really playing at a high, high level. And then the injury and then, you know, to battle back this year and play and then to run into the snapping issue. You know, you feel badly for him. You hope that he can kind of regain his form at some point. But you're right. I don't I don't see them moving McCullough at this point. All right. So the next player involved is uh, Ben Powers. Uh, again, no penalties. By the way, McCary, a high A was the, was the best of the Ravens linemen in terms of grading this week. Um, Powers had no penalties for the second consecutive game. When Powers doesn't get penalized, he has been freaking terrific. Uh, it's most of the deductions he's had this year are from penalties. I just want to look this up here a little bit to see how much of his deductions this season had come from this. But he's had 18 penalty uh, points deducted of what appear to be, he's only had, by, by comparison, uh, four and a half pressures the entire season otherwise. He hasn't had a lot of quarterback hit, has not allowed a sack, a quarter of a penetration. So basically all of his deductions this year have been penalty deductions. And he, he turned in another great game this week. He did allow one pressure, uh, but uh, terrific game and an A overall again for him uh, this week as well. 
Yeah, and, and you know, I, I have this conversation, too, with a lot of folks on Twitter who, you know, basically say, well, what took so long? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, a lot of people have wanted to see Ben Powers in a more regular starting role uh, for a while now. And even, even you know, I'll just speak for myself, even for me, I don't think that I was ever, I wasn't asking that question because I'm like, man, this guy's been so good. I don't understand how you can keep him on the bench. It wasn't so much that. It was just when he did play, he looked solid. Yes. I didn't see anything that was egregious in terms of, you know, performance or mental errors or assignments. Obviously, you talked about the penalties, so that, you know, that, that had to be cleaned up and would be a continuous thing. But I was just like, is there, is, are the people that are there in front of him this year, this year, clearly, right? Let's, let's, mm-hmm. not, let's not get that, get that confused. Were the people that were there in front of him this year that much better that he couldn't get on the field? So it was a little confusing, uh, but I'm glad that as he's gotten these opportunities that he's performed well. Um, you know, you never know this year with, with what they're going to do on the Ravens offensive line, but it seems like he's earned. I, I was telling somebody the other day, it, it, it seems like their approach might almost be like game by game, right? Like he's just got to keep earning that start with each game's performance. And then when do you get to the point where it's like, okay, that's your spot now? Uh, maybe that doesn't happen this year. Maybe it's going to continue to be, well, let's see how it goes after this game. Um, I, I think at this I'm point, happy he's been in there. I, I got to feel that powers would have to implode at this point to really lose the job. I think uh, barring a, a fall off the table F that he'll probably hold that position for the remainder of the season. He's played too well in the last couple of games. And when you consider what was really causing all the problems with the way he scored, it, it being all penalty related, it's, it's the kind of item that the Ravens coaches have had very good success in the past coaching out of players. Ryan Jensen had three holding penalties in his first game. McCarry had two against the Rams in the, you know, the portion of the game that he played when he replaced Skura initially. Uh, Brown and Stanley both had all their holding penalties in the first two games of last year. It's, they've been very good at coaching these penalties out of players so they don't have any the rest of the season. And I think with Powers, they, they probably have done that now. And I'm expecting him to hold that position for the rest of the year. So we've gone the last three positions. I'm saying Bozeman, I think, is going to stay at left guard. I don't think he's moving. I think that's pretty well secure. But more importantly, two positions that have been in flux. I think McCarry and Powers are now the incumbents who are not being closely challenged in any way at this point. I agree. He's got a a tough test coming up this week. Sheldon Richardson, Larry Mm -hmm. Ogunjobi, they're the real deal. So uh, he's he's going to get uh, another good measuring stick for himself uh, coming up Monday night. Yeah, I, I agree. It's a tough defensive line. Ogunjobi, by the way, hasn't really played well since that first Ravens game. I was I was shocked, but I looked on PFF and he was one of the real stars, just penetration after penetration in that opening game. And then since then, he hasn't played very well. I expect them to be motivated Monday night because they got curb stomped back in week one by the Ravens. Mm-hmm. And I, I know that uh, they're not talking as much as the Browns have normally talked in the past. And I think that's a good <laughs> thing for them. Uh, but I think there's a quiet sort of feeling there like, hey, people have been questioning, are we for real all year? Uh, we, we showed it against the Titans, but now, you know, we owe the Ravens a little payback. So I expect them to be motivated. Right. Well, probably true. Uh, move on at right tackle powers and A in this game. Fluker, solid game. And I think he really showed off his physicality despite the one play. 30 snaps, so he split time with Phillips fairly evenly in this game. Phillips had 24. He allowed one pressure, missed three blocks, had two very nice highlight combination blocks. Love to see Fluker when he's mobile getting into level two. Even if it's just 
that half a level up, meaning seal inside, move half a level up, hit the scraping linebacker. Uh, those plays, I love to see it from Fluker because he does a lot of damage personally when he does. Uh, good game for him. One on one on pulls, three blocks in level two, a B for the game. Yeah, we talked about violence. Um, when, if, <laughs> if you could just isolate when he's on the field to a specific block, a down block, Mm-hmm. absolute violence I mm-hmm. mean, to the point where he's throwing defenders across the line sometimes into his own guys uh he's yes. down blocking them so violently and so aggressively and then you just get the icing on the cake when he's able to climb up to that that second level like you said or even a half halfway to that second level um obviously that's always a good thing uh with any offensive lineman but uh when he does it again he's just so powerful and so yeah. violent with the way he plays. You know, not not always um, the most agile in terms of redirecting and changing direction and, and, and maybe, you know, sometimes has a few mental errors. But when he can square you up and get his hands on you, it's, it's not going to be pretty. Yeah, that's a great point because arm length is where he can dictate first contact with that first you know, getting his hands on you. The down block, that guy's helpless because he's already being blocked by the, by the man opposite him. Okay, by that right guard. The second level block, particularly a scraping linebacker, he's he's going to be the much longer man when it comes to meeting that linebacker who's going to be a shorter and 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 not have anything like the same kind of arm length where that he was drafted for effectively. He's got a big advantage in making that block. Where is really surprising because you hear arm length talked about in pass blocking is that I don't think Fluker is using his length well there at all. You know, Tyree Phillips seems to use his length better, but but Fluker has been bear-hugging people. He's outside the frame all the time, which just is begging for a holding call when he's pass-blocking. Yeah, and I think if you go back and, and watch him uh, when he was with Seattle, even even if you want to go way back with the Chargers, um, maybe even Alabama, probably, um, he just has that sort of, you know, old-school offensive line mentality, right? He wants to get you in close, as close as he possibly can, he doesn't care if his hands are inside or out. But he basically wants to bear hug you mm-hmm. and put his helmet in your chest. Now, right, that's been coached out, right? Or we're trying to coach that out of the game in terms of taking the head out of the block. But he's just old school that way. And like you said, it's 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 not always optimal because you are certainly susceptible to penalties and um, also uh, you know people sort of being a little more agile and be able to get an edge on you either way. But uh, that's how he plays, man. I mean, you, the one thing with Fluker is you know what you're going to get um, <laughs> when he's out there. It's not always, you know, uh, going to going to be a great end result, but it's not inconsistent. You know what you're going to get from him. Right. It's it's it's. I would uh, the analogy I'd make is it's it's like Muhammad Ali having a you know six inch reach advantage on Joe Frazier and trying to fight him inside. Why the hell would you do that? Jab, 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 jab. You know, it's, it's just, it just it doesn't make any sense with Fluker. And I wish he could use his hands more violently in the passing game to get good punch and to really, you know, deliver a blow. He's a, he's a strong man who can dictate first contact. You can't ask for more in terms of physical tools to play that position. And yet, you know, he doesn't really use them effectively. Yeah, that's why the whole arm length conversation around offensive line, it really has to, you really need to have that context, right? Because you can have long arms, but to your mm-hmm. point, if you don't know how to use them or don't use them effectively, then you know it's almost like you don't have that arm length. Yeah. And you see guys with shorter arms who do use them and are more effective in how they use it, 
and it really becomes an advantage for them. So, you know, when you look at it in a vacuum, and people say, "Well, arm length," well, yeah, I mean, it can be good, but you got to know what you're doing. It's like I, I agreed with everything you said until you talked about the shorter arms they can make into an advantage for them. They 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 can maybe make it less of a disadvantage. I don't know. What an advantage in terms of how they use their hands, not the length okay. per se, but the advantage in terms of how they use them. The fact that maybe they time them a little better, maybe they place them a little Got better. It. Maybe they use them independently, more like a boxer instead of that two-hand punch. They understand okay. how to kind of punch with one and control with the other. So it's it, more about usage. I probably should have been a little more. Confident. It forces better technique in a shorter arm line. line. Is that really what you're what you're getting at? That. It can. I mean, because mm-hmm. you can see shorter arm linemen who have bad technique too. So I guess what I'm getting, I guess what I'm getting at is, try for, for those who who look at the arm length deal, don't just take it in a vacuum and say, well, he's got long arms, so he must be a good pass protector. It doesn't necessarily. Fair enough. Okay, let's uh, talk Tyree Phillips. Twenty four snaps, three misses in the game. That's all he had. But Lamar ran him out of two pressures, uh, so he allowed it. He got beaten into the backfield twice for what would have been a pressure on each of these plays, and Lamar ran for a positive gain. And just being transparent in terms of what my system does, he picked up four points on that, which is a difference between an A and a C over the course of twenty four blocks. So uh, I understand completely if you think Tyree Phillips had a C performance in this game. I, I don't accept that it would have been lower, but he got an A in terms of the. Uh, actual result of the plays uh, on my system. But I could understand how he's he would be having a, a more explaining to do in the film room than, than any of the other linemen based on the, on the couple of pressures he allowed to the inside. And when you watch him, um, I've, I've asked a couple other folks about this too, I can't help but notice that he's just not moving the same way that he was moving earlier in the season. I mean, I know he had the high ankle and the high ankle mm-hmm. sprain, and those can linger throughout the rest of the season, right? Even if you're healthy enough to get back on the field and play and practice, you can still sort of have lingering effects for those. He just does not look like the same guy in terms of movement uh, that I saw earlier in the year. When you watch him take a pass set, I mean, it's it's almost lumbering. Yes. And I know that's not what I saw in the first couple of games of the season when he was uh, healthy. Now he was at guard, and it's a different set in there, but – if you just watched his feet, if you were just to isolate and just you know kind of put your eyes on his feet, you would see a guy who was moving with a lot more fluidity than what you're seeing right now. Yeah, I, I completely agree. So A for Phillips in this game. C, if you, if you didn't like the way I scored it, that's fine too. Uh, we're telling you qualitatively what happened. Matt Skura, five of seven blocks as a sixth offensive lineman. Don't really want to spend a lot of time on him. Uh, Tristan Colon Castillo was inactive, and you'd have thought that the Ravens had you know just lost a favorite son here in terms of uh, why on earth would that happen after the you know great game he played last week against the Steelers? And yeah, I, I had some I, air quotes sorry, are going on there. Yeah, I had somebody make that same comment to me too. Like they couldn't believe he was an actor. Mm-hmm. It, it was like a stunner to them. And I'm like, well, what, what did you think that he did to warrant, <laughs> you know? I mean, he was in there in an emergency situation and he acquitted himself very well, right? His first NFL game. Um, in, in kind of that emergency situation, mm-hmm. but I mean, let's not let's not go crazy here. Um, you know, he, he had some down moments in that game for sure. Right. Um, and so, you know, when you're healthy and you have your your guys back, um, you know, he, he's kind of going to fall back into to his previous role. 
Yeah, I, I thought it was it was a fairly obvious move, frankly, in terms of what they had available to them that that he would have to probably sit. They could have sat Bredesen, I guess, but it, it just it made more sense to me that that would be the case. His first game was a D as I graded it, and I I, I originally thought it was a C, but then I looked at the false start penalty that was charged to Bredesen and noticed that every single offensive lineman moved before he snapped the football, which tells me he probably did not have the snap count right or he snapped it late, one of those two. He had some, he had some individual. Uh, <laughs> I call. I'm not the only one who calls him this, but just I, this is what I put in my uh, in my notes when I'm charging things. <laughs> that he took a bunch of L's, uh, a bunch of individual mm-hmm. L's in that game yeah. uh, on some one-on-one block situations. But who could blame him? I mean, he's he's going up against guys like Cam Hayward and uh, even Isaiah Bugs. Uh, you know, I know Tua wasn't in that game, uh, but uh, Alu Alu. Mm-hmm. You know, these are very good players in this league, and you know, this is a UDFA making his first start. So. I, I'm, I'm not saying that to be critical of the guy, but uh, I don't know that it was what some of those people who were clamoring for him uh, think it was. Well, we always want to see the best in a player getting making his first outing. So we want to we want to project more than is really there. But uh, but anyway, good. Let's be, let's keep moving on. We don't need to talk that much. Bad news today: Will Holden claimed by the Indianapolis Colts uh, this afternoon. Uh, obviously, the Ravens cannot anticipate and cover every need for depth, but I'm particularly upset about this one. I, I think it was very predictable that this was going to occur. Uh, the Ravens had a, uh, you know, they have multiple options on, on, on how to deal with this, but but Holden, frankly, I think was their best option at left tackle as a backup should anything happen to Brown. And I, I don't think you ever want to be in the in the position where if your left tackle goes down, you're just as screwed as the Ravens would appear to be if that were to happen right now. Yeah, I saw that news too, and it was disappointing for sure. Um, like you said, I don't think that it was something unforeseen. Um, mm-hmm. You know, obviously we pay attention to this stuff as, as fans, and, and uh, at least for me, I'll speak for myself. You're an actual analyst. I'm sort of one of the analysts. Um, we we follow this stuff closely, but you know, the team they, they they obviously employ people whose job it is to monitor these situations and think about these scenarios and try to craft strategies uh, to not you know, have something like this happen if they feel like it's going to be really detrimental to them. Um, right. But it, but it did. So um, I think I'm not crazy about it, but I, I imagine we'd see Fluker go back to left tackle if something did happen uh, to Brown Jr. and Phillips would stay at right tackle. Uh, I know they kind of been rotating here uh, recently, but if that were to happen, that's the, that, that, I mean, I don't know what else you could do. Yeah, it's, it's fire bad, obviously. It's, uh, it, you know, you would not want that to occur. And I'm not saying that Holden necessarily would have been able to hold up at left tackle. I mean, he never has been able to hold up at left tackle before. You know, he's been released now. This will be his ninth stint with seven different teams. So these are stints of consecutive plays. May have been cut multiple times by some of these teams. Uh, here's what else I know about the situation is that Holden was not protected this week. Now, I'm not sure that matters because... In the day after a game, I believe even protected players for a one-day window can be selected from their team. So I believe there's a, there was an option to for Indianapolis to pick him up anyway. But then following that, they had hoped, the Holdens had hoped that it would work out with the Ravens, and they did try and talk to them the way Colon Castillo did in terms of saying, hey, you know, uh, Indianapolis is, is is taking me. Can we work out a deal kind of thing? And uh, that's where 
uh, they were not able to make a deal. So, you know, maybe there would have been a two-year deal or something for, for holding a play here this year and next. Uh, maybe there would have been a, um, you know, an opportunity for a little more money this year. I'm not sure what it would have been, but it seems like it, it would have been a probably not too expensive insurance policy. And I'm really going to be interested to hear what Indianapolis signed him for. Yeah. Yeah. That will be interesting. I, uh, you mentioned it. You talk about this all the time. I mean, it, it's hard to hoard uh, offensive tackle depth in yeah. this league. You just can't do it anymore. Uh, maybe even more so this year with the expanded practice squads and the COVID uh, cop outs. Yeah, and the COVID cop. Yeah, so there's 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 always a need. There's you know increased factors this year um, that sort of you know push that need even higher. And uh, it was probably just a matter of time, right? That, it, it, that somebody was going to pinch that guy if they didn't do something. Right. I, I, it, I think it was probably just a matter of time. And, and it was time for the Ravens, I think, to get creative about sending someone to IR at this point. And that might have been Castillo, Colin Castillo, or it might have been Bredesen. But they had a couple of reasonable options on sending somebody to IR and activating Will Holden to create that thing. Right now, right now or, or for the season to date, they've been entirely focused on maintaining this enormous stable of interior offensive line depth and not keeping enough tackle depth really at any point during the year, in my opinion. And it's not, it's hard to do, but you know they pick up Jake Rogers for a brief period while the, all the people are on the COVID list, and then they released him. Then they they you know they had Holden available. They had him up for for half a game against it was New England against he played against or was it Tennessee, whichever it was he was effective. And it's just a shame that uh, that uh, you know they couldn't find a way to keep him during this period. And it's the only thing worse than saying I like this guy because of the, the game he saw is is me saying I like this guy because of the half game I saw. But the Ravens' situation to tackle is a hell of a lot more dire. I think they get into their recent calls and uh, get Jake Rogers on the horn again. <laughs> probably, yeah. I think I think you're probably right. Uh, I, I I did not hear that he was he was picked up by anybody, but we'd have to check around for that. Let's move on and and. I love talking to you, Michael, but the problem is we always get bogged down with 45 minutes of offensive line talk, and we need to talk about the rest of the offense, which is actually what other people probably want to hear about. Let's talk about Lamar. Uh, I thought it was wonderful. He came back at full strength. What did you see from him in, in, in his first game back? Well, the one thing that really stood out to me was just the juice that he had as a runner. Mm-hmm. Um, as some people may have seen on Twitter earlier this year, I thought there was maybe some lingering Yes. Uh, effects from that training camp groin situation just didn't look like the same guy that I saw from 2019. The Texans game particularly came to mind when, look, no knock on Zach Cunningham. He's a very good linebacker. He's not catching full strength Lamar Jackson around the edge. And he did it a couple times in that game. Mm-hmm. And you can talk about angles, and I'm sure the angle, uh, you know, uh, was, was a very good one and that helped. But it, it's just not happening. In, 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 you know, all things being equal situation. And when I saw him move last night, that looked like 2019 explosive Lamar Jackson as a runner. Um, as a passer, you know, I, I think that, you know, there were some things that you would expect uh, coming back, um, you know, from, from being off the layoff that he had. I want to stick with Jackson as a runner for just a second because I completely agree with you. I wonder if, if this might be your take or if you maybe would, would talk about it, but I don't think the groin injury that we may have been seeing lingering effects for affected his straight line speed all that much. We've seen three runs right up the middle where he's just been poof, gone. And it does not really seem to impact those. Obviously, one of them was last night after maybe he set some time off and maybe he's a little bit better. But the thing I'm noticing is when they do these read option plays 
where he's running to the outside. Last year, he had an unbelievable ability to make people miss. He read leverage, and, and I'm sure he can still do that. I think it's maybe the cutting that he can't do that's causing players like Zach Cunningham to not be juked out of their shoes this year, but instead to be able to make those plays. Totally agree. It's, it's the lateral ability. It's the cutting ability. Um, have a, a friend of mine that I met through uh, Twitter. His name is Denard Melton, a uh, former football player. Uh, mm-hmm. Played here uh, high school ball in Anne Arundel County. Played uh, in college at JMU, running back and linebacker. And obviously he doesn't know exactly what Lamar had, but he talked about a groin injury that he had. And he said it wasn't to the point that he couldn't play or practice with it. So he was, you know, he was off the injury report. And he said, yeah, in a straight line, I still felt like I had most of my speed, but I couldn't cut the way that I used to, right, or run laterally as explosively as I used to until it really healed up. So he, he told me, that. so I, I don't want to make it sound like it was all on me. I was kind of floating the idea around, and I ran it past him, and he's like, yeah, if that's what it is, I could totally see why he has issues. At Lowe's, we're your go-to for great gardening values every day. That's why we've lowered our price on select bagged mulch. Now starting at just $2.88 a bag. Mulch helps prevent weeds and retains moisture. And when you put it down around trees, shrubs, and flower beds, you'll see how beautiful it makes your outdoor space. Just in time to welcome back family and friends. Shop online and pick up in store. Lowe's, home to the best part of summer. Selection and product availability vary by location. While supplies last, U.S. only excludes Alaska and Hawaii you know, uh, what we just described running in those directions. Makes sense. Uh, running kept the game in the Ravens early and, and it, it, his running in particular with all of those third down conversions he had, not to mention the big fourth down conversion on fourth and two. Yeah. The QB scrambles are always a big thing. Uh, I know that's something that you pay close attention to some other folks out there pay, play close attention to. And it's just the one thing that's just so demoralizing uh, for the defense where, you know, you can have pretty good coverage, right, in the secondary. But when that guy gets out and not just picks up yards, but picks up first downs on third down, mm-hmm. um, you know, just so demoralizing. He extends drives, obviously, uh, creating more opportunities for more plays and, and scoring opportunities. So I love to see it. Um, I like him to do it even more. <laughs> yes. But, uh, you know, you don't want it to be forced. You want him to, to take advantage uh, in the pocket and, and make throws and, and get the ball to, to guys that way when he can. But – Hey, when you can't and you need to go get it, go get it. We'll need to see. He'll, he may need a, a full season off or a full off season before he's back and can cut the way he used to, if, if in fact, he can get back to that point. But you know, the Ravens are going to have to rely on Jackson, the runner, as much as they need to in these last four ball games. In fact, in this one ball game to make the playoffs, uh, they they just they can't afford to basically hold anything back. Nothing. The playbook is entirely open, and Jackson needs to be a part of the offense to whatever degree is necessary in this game against Cleveland in particular. And I think you can see a little bit of that in his mentality on some mm-hmm. of those runs last night. There's no saving it at this point. Right. Not saving anything, right? you got to let it all hang out because there's no margin for error. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree. Uh, the interception, uh, frustrating, obviously. Always frustrating whenever it gets an interception, but it gets an fr- interception early in a game, and you know, it's a tipped ball and this and that. It, it, it was probably 60% his fault, 50% his fault at least. But ball was a little high. You, you, you kind of hope your receiver... Some receivers know not to tip a ball up in that situation. But they always want to try and make the catch. And obviously, he, it was a little bit out of his reach. And that, that created a, a tip ball and an inter- a tip drill thereafter that went for an interception. 
and I watching it, I kind of had to bite my own tongue because I've I've really been uh, banging the force feed the ball to Hollywood Brown uh, bandwagon, and they did actually force feed it to him because uh, when you look at that play from the coach's ang- uh, camera angle, the wide shot, you see a safety rotating down over top of that crossing route. Right, he already has a man in really tight trail coverage behind him, but there's mm-hmm. a safety coming down on top of that route. So you probably shouldn't go there with the ball because even if he makes the catch, it's probably going to get blown up. Um, and you could also look at when they motioned Justice Hill out of the backfield to the left there on Van Der Esch. He had him. He had mm-hmm. Van Der Esch on that flat route by at least two steps. Uh, so that throw was there too. So, um, you know, I kind of had to, to take my own medicine on that one because uh, they were trying to get the ball to Hollywood and it, it just didn't, you know, end in a good result. Right. Uh, the touchdown to Hollywood, obviously a, a, a thing of beauty and, you really have to either watch a, a backside broadcast angle, which which I think I saw, but the All-22 is is amazing in terms of showing an extended play where Hollywood stops, then starts again after he has the magical intuitive connection. You can see him looking back at Lamar Jackson, runs to that corner. Jackson actually, in my opinion, got that ball out very late in terms of making that throw properly. If that's a flatter, earlier thrown ball, it's a much easier catch for Hollywood. But Hollywood made it a made it a thing of beauty anyway, and the ball was was placed in bounds, which is the which is the important part, and over the defender, the other important part for the touchdown. Throwing with anticipation. If anybody has followed me on Twitter, that has been the single biggest bugaboo for me this year about mm-hmm. the ball is that he has not. It's probably not even accurate enough to say it's been inconsistent in terms of throwing with. It's been below average right. in terms of throwing with anticipation. And I have a theory on why it looks the way it looks. Uh, we may not have time for it here, so uh, I'll, I'll let us move on, and maybe maybe we'll do it another time. I, I'd, I'd love to have that discussion with you, I think, but but we are kind of running late here. Um, uh, just throwing to an open spot on the field just does not seem to be on part of the Lamar playbook anymore. And if you go back to the Miami game last year, even the first game this year against the Browns, the throw was a little late to Hollywood on that deep corner route I want to say it was a kind of a crossing route uh that went across the field to the to the outside the left numbers when he made the long catch in the in game one week one against the Browns you remember that one I do I do okay and I won't get deep into the theory I'll just say this I think it can take so this would kind of you know mitigate what I would say in that theory it can take time for a young QB to learn what that looks like right when to let that ball go in, in the NFL, right? Just mm-hmm. how early you have to do it. You can say, well, look, he's been in the league for a year and a half now, but it's just a process. You know, it's a continual process because new guys you get in, new defenders, new coverages. It's just a process. So I don't want to make it sound like he can't do it or he can't improve. He definitely can. I'm, I'm buying the new defenders, new process. Here's my problem. He's been playing with Hollywood since he was a freaking kid. He knows exactly how fast the guy is. You know, he's... It, might be his best friend in the whole world. I I, I don't know, but but you know, he certainly could be. You, you got to be able to to at least figure that guy out. You can figure out Mark Andrews. He hasn't been playing with with him all that long, but he but he knows where to put the ball for him. You know, head high and you know, yay and so he knows just how to throw it to him. Hollywood, it's throw to an open spot and let Hollywood go get the football. Less anticipation required on some of those throws to Mark Andrews, just because of the nature of where they are yes. in the field and how quickly they occur. Um, but no, I look, I, I get this from, uh, from, uh, at big player receiver who you had on your show. Not that AC. long ago. Yeah. AC. I get this from him all the time. He's like, they, they worked out all damn summer. What's going on? Yes. <laughs> so he tells me that all the time. 
All right. Now, one of the things I liked about Des Bryant being out of the game was that it made Miles Boykin have a bigger role. And I think we kind of realized what Bryant was taking away from the Ravens with his presence. Now, I don't want to bash the hell out of Des Bryant because it's not his fault. He just wanted another chance. And all of, he, all of a sudden he gets two snaps and then he doesn't play at all. And then he comes back and he gets 35 snaps. Well, at that point, he's taking a lot of playing time away from Miles Boykin and Devin DuVernay specifically. And I think those players can do significantly more than he can with those snaps, both as blockers and as receivers. And it, it was just, it was frustrating to me. Brian had seven targets, 28 yards during his time with the Ravens. It may be over now. He's on the COVID list. We don't know if it's over, but that may be the end of it. I don't really honestly see how they have room for him when they bring him back because they've got a lot of other roster constraints going on. But how do you see that coming out? I mean, if you're now faced with that, the option of Miles Boykin, Devin DuVernay, or Des Bryant, how are you going to allocate those snaps? It's certainly tough. And, you know, I think the first thing when you hear they're going to sign Des is you get excited because you're thinking about Des Des, not where he is now, right? You're thinking about 2014. Yeah, yeah <laughs> you're thinking about that Des and not, not 2020 Des. Um, so you get excited, but then you get you, you get him on the field and you kind of see how he moves and what he's looking like. And, and some of that is him, you know, not having played in a long time and sort of having to get back to NFL game speed. But it, it the way I looked at it was if they felt like it was going to be detrimental to those guys and uh, limit their opportunities and, and, you know, growth and development, well, then you don't make that move, right? They, you, if you think, hey, we, we got to continue to give these guys opportunities – um, so that they can grow and develop, then you don't make the move. You don't bring him in. But if you think, hey, we've kind of, you know, been giving them some shots, giving them some shots, and it just hasn't really happened yet, and we're in this kind of, hey, we got to win some games, so we need some guys who will go out there and make plays and not, well, maybe they'll make some, maybe they'll grow into it. Then I understand taking that shot. Um, but when you see a game like Miles had last night, then you say, hey, all right, maybe, maybe we're back in that other mode. Maybe these guys can make those plays. Maybe they can be those guys, and maybe you don't need them. Yeah, a wonderful game out of Boykin, but there's so much to like about what happened on that play. And obviously, busted coverage. He got behind it, made a nice grab, throw was on time, on target. Better than that, three defenders had a chance to, had a chance to take him down. He didn't go down. Didn't even come close to going down, frankly, on, on rolling into the end zone on that play. No, no, he didn't. Like you said, completely blown coverage, but made a nice adjustment on a ball that was high and a little bit behind him. So you kind of got to turn locate the ball, make the catch, turn back, regain your balance, right? So you can now transition into being a runner. And like you said, um, you know, not get tackled or not go down. So he did all of that. And, you know, um, you might mention this uh, in a minute or two, but really should have had two touchdowns. In the right. Yeah, that, that was the other one, obviously. Uh, it was back to Miles Boyk in 2019 in terms of the place that Lamar Jackson seems to like to find Miles Boykin is in the end zone on some extended plays. There's beautiful reasoning given on that play why the Ravens don't need a fade receiver. They don't ever really need size in the end zone. They need a guy who, who will continue to work to work with Lamar on the throwing lane opening. That can be a tight end. It can be a wide receiver. It can even be a running back uh, while Lamar is continually scrambling to find space to throw with his legs as opposed to trying to throw to a throw that low percentage fade route. Yeah, and you know, that's something people have been clamoring for, right? Whether it be with Miles Boykin or even when they signed Dez. Go throw yeah. more fade, throw more fade. Yeah, Lamar right. ever thrown a ton of fades? Yeah. It's just not a throw that they seem to have in the offense 
uh, a ton, whether whether it's by design or he just chooses not to target it. I don't know. But he does like to throw in the windows, right? I talked about the anticipation. That obviously needs to be improved. But he likes to throw into lanes, into windows. So to your point, if you can find guys like Andrews who knows how to work in the lanes and windows, he'll find those guys. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Let's talk some scheme elements here. Uh, they really ran the ball at will. I, I thought the Cowboys' effort was brought into question by Aikman. By the way, I don't know about you, but I have a hard time listening to Troy Aikman broadcast a Cowboys game because it's all he wants to talk about. He, you know, you have a contending team on the field. How about we talk about them for a little bit? No, hey, let's talk a, about the future of the Dallas Cowboys. <laughs> once, once a cowboy, always a cowboy. There you go. But they, what did you think about the effort? Uh, particularly on the last touchdown, it was questioned by Aikman. Well, you got to start to wonder about it. I always hate to, I mean, now look, he played, right? He's a former mm-hmm. player, so I'm sure he, he's more comfortable doing that. I obviously have not. So I always kind of hesitate to uh, really go into that because everything you're getting into uh, motivation and that kind of thing. And sometimes it's, it's obvious. I mean, sometimes you can see it on the field and, and you're not really like speculating. But this isn't the first time this has been called out on them this year, right? There were games earlier in the year where effort was called out, where players on the team were calling out other players' efforts, right? And yes. remember they asked Mike McCarthy, he's like, I don't see an effort issue. I think it's fine. <laughs> so, I mean, this is kind of becoming a, a recurring theme for them. And, uh, you know, if it walks like a duck, you know, it talks like a duck at some point, got to just kind of say 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 it for what it is yeah there you go um one of the things that's a little bit surprising was how effectively the ravens were able to run on a six-day week when dallas had not played in 12 days yeah uh you would think from a game planning and preparation standpoint <laughs> you would you would see something a little bit better from dallas I mean, maybe a freshness like- standpoint how about that well that's certainly that certainly from a freshness standpoint but even from having time to prepare um, you think you might have saw something a little bit different there, but obviously coming into the game, they had that low ranking against the run and just their run fits, man. They're just not good. How they fit yeah. the run just from a structural standpoint, just not good. Uh, yeah. It's just not good. And obviously to the tune of 294 yards, uh, it, was, it was beyond not good. You know, the game that's reminding me of the 2000 game was the first time the Ravens were featured on the four o'clock national game in their history. And Madden and Summerall came in and did the game. And Madden telestrated the left side of the Ravens' offensive line the whole day. There are two reasons for this. One is Jonathan Ogden was over there. The Ravens were rolling up on the Cowboys, all kinds of yardage. And Edwin Mulatalo went to the same high school that Madden went to. And so he gave him a lot of telestrator time, too. And I always thought that was an egregious concession to Mulatalo. Then later I got into offensive line scoring, and I did go back and look at that game. It is the single most dominant run-blocking game of John Ogden's career, without question. I mean, just if you ever have a chance to see the video from that game and you want to see a guy just imposing his will play after play on the man across him, which is relatively difficult for an offensive lineman to do. Those defensive linemen, they're good athletes. They're hard to move. They know how not to get moved in the direction they don't want to. And it's very hard to win a one-on-one battle. He did it all day long. And uh, just... It's one of those games that that reminded me a lot of this one. It wasn't. I don't think it was quite 294 yards rushing in that game, although it had to be close because I think um, Jamal Lewis had over 200 in that game. All right, before your time as a Ravens fan? No, not before my time. I, I just I can't. You know, I, I've not seen it in a long, long time. Yeah, fair enough. <laughs> so I don't. I can't picture it vividly. But no, I uh, 
was not before my. I'm 45, Ken. I'm not there you go. You're a young man. You're a young man. There you go. Uh, Wilson and Ricard, I thought in this game, did a good job as run blockers. Uh, you know, what's nice is that each was, hmm, how should I put it? Uh, purported, that's not the right word. What's the right word when you make something out to be in a, in a kind of a lame way? You're, you're the English <laughs> contract lawyer guy. I'm, so I it, don't know it, that I'm sure where you're going with this. Yeah, it's, it's, it's the, they presented the two of them, Wilson and, and Ricard, as credible receiving threats. Wilson had the DPI and Ricard had what two catches in this game? I think one left, one right. Yep. yep. Okay. That's what I remember. So you know they 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 used them as actual receiving threats, which which forces them in some way to respect that that notion. But they both had good blocking games, I thought, in this one. Yeah, they did. Um, you know, I've been I've been surprised at what they've been able to do uh, after Boyle went out in terms of the tight ends who've come in and. You know, obviously they don't use them in the same way, all the same ways that they use Nick Boyle. Uh, they sort of ask them to make different blocks against different body types. But in terms of what they're asking them to do, I think they've done a decent job at it. And in this Gal- in this Dallas game, I think they did a, a probably better than decent job. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they, I thought they were good against the Steelers as well. They were one of the things offensively that just really went well in that game, even though it was three backups. No Ricard. It was all Culkin and Tomlinson and, and uh, Wilson. And I thought they were they were very effective blocking in that game. Uh, anyway, let's move on. Other skill position players. Let's get to that before we're out of time here, my friend. Who would you like to talk about? Well, uh, I've also been banging the you know this this offense aside from Lamar. I'm setting aside Lamar because obviously everything starts with Lamar. But from beyond that, this offense needs to run through J.K. Dobbins. Mm-hmm. It absolutely needs to run through J.K. Dobbins from a touch standpoint, and I think he has out-snapped and out-touched uh, the other running backs in, in, in the games that he's played. Obviously, he was out uh, in the Steelers game. And I think it has to run through him because he's just so explosive and so hard to tackle. Uh, he just makes things happen uh, when he has the ball in his hands. Yeah, I don't know if you've seen on Twitter today, but Adam Bonacorsi is trying to project his 5.4 yards per carry and touchdown rate out to all the other backs in the league to show that he'd be better. Uh, it's it's been kind of funny actually. <laughs> I saw I saw the extrapolation. Uh, you know, those are always fun. Uh, yeah. I, I I probably wouldn't wouldn't take it there myself, but I get where Adam's going. I like Adam. He's a good yeah, guy. Yeah, he is a good uh, guy. Yeah, no, he he definitely needs to touch the ball as much as possible in my opinion. Yeah, and I I the only thing about Dobbins' season that I'm not really crazy about, and this is not a knock on Dobbins, but the Ravens have altered their scheme to fit Dobbins in a way because they're running a lot more sidecar than pistol this year. I'm sorry, not more sidecar than pistol, but more necessarily, but more sidecar than they used to run before. Yeah, it used to be almost true. all pistol. And in doing so, that's a that's a attempt to get Dobbins' speed to the outside be half of the option on the play with Lamar going inside. And I think that's taken away some from Lamar. And that may, again, get back to the groin injury and Lamar's inability to cut the same way is why they're doing that. These pieces do seem to fit together, don't they? They do. They do. And when you look at those runs, we talked about the counter bash, but when he's back on that play, they really have to respect his speed. Mm-hmm. And you could see it in this Cowboys game where they ran the same play, but Lamar handed it off to him and he went around the left edge. I don't remember if he ran for 20 or 30 yards, whatever it was. Um, but Alden Smith had no shot at containing J.K. Dobbins around the corner there. So they really do fit together very well. Very exciting bat. Very exciting back. Uh, let's talk about Gus Edwards, who is also an exciting back in a completely different way. Uh, I thought he had a, another fine game here, and and uh, 
What I am liking, there was a move on the outside he put, and I'm forgetting on the defensive back he did it, where he made a quick snaky cut, uh, and it was it was a it was a left right snap left right step that he effectively sidestepped, but in a in a smooth continuous motion way. That way he conserves his momentum well on those runs uh, on the left side of the field. Do you remember what I'm talking about? Oh, I absolutely do because I remember. Uh sending a DM to a friend of mine when it happened, like asking him, like, did you see that cut? Yeah. <laughs> did you see the cut that he put on that guy? I said, that's Gus Edwards. You don't normally see him move like that. But the one thing I will say about him is it seems like every year he adds something to his game, he gets a little bit better at something every year, whether it's his vision and, you know, you think about him running certain plays and always sort of attacking it in, a, in the same way. Uh, I think about power when he runs power and he kind of stays behind the pullers. But then you kind of saw in 2019 him start to kind of hit it backside and take that backside crease between the tackle who's maybe hinging out on a guy there. And he just adds a little something. And this year I think you've seen more sort of those kinds of cuts, right, more sort of agility in terms of footwork. So he, he, he's just a really solid, solid back. And I told people he reminds me of a guy. Now he, doesn't, he hasn't had nearly the opportunity that this guy had early in his career, but Alfred Morris. Just a solid guy, nothing special, nothing spectacular, knows how to run the ball, knows how to gain yards, knows how to pass protect, can catch the ball a little bit. He's just a solid professional running back. Yeah. It's the the I go back a long way, obviously, with, with football, but back in the eighties, it seemed like whoever the Washington Redskins put at running back, and frankly, whoever they put at quarterback there for a while, would be effective no matter what behind their offensive line. That you know, they had one of the great lines in the game, if not the best. And it ended up being in their in their big win over the Broncos in the Super Bowl, Timmy Smith. And you can look over his career. There wasn't much there who had over 200 yards rushing. It's uh, almost like it all starts with the offensive. Yeah, okay. Who knew? <laughs> <laughs> all right, let's move on. Josh, what do you have in the mailbag here? Uh, you didn't you didn't see the time. We have no time for the mailbag today. We have no time for the mailbag. Michael. No. Tell us about your Twitter and where people can handle you, where people can uh, contact you, and uh, anything you'd like to about your podcast. Uh, first, I apologize to mailbag uh, <laughs> questioners. Uh, the reason your questions didn't I, get asked is because I, of I me. Think you, I'm sorry. <laughs> I think you guys did a good job covering the mailbag questions as well that I pulled out. Oh, okay. Okay. All so right, we'll I, think, I think we're fine. The extra time still covered them. Oh. All right, good, good. I'm glad we did that. But still, apologies out there to anybody that had a question that we didn't get to. I'm sorry about that. But uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Abukari. That's at A-B-U-K-A-R-I. Um, not posting as much as I used to. I'm kind of in this tweet budget uh, sort of uh, experiment. I'm really kind of liking it. Uh, tweet, so budget? tweet budget? Tweet <laughs> budget. Tell me about I'm that. The, I'm on the tweet budget. So the idea is to limit myself to a certain number of tweets per day and, and, and a total number of tweets per week, right? And I think what it has done is really forced me to think carefully about what I want to tweet. Because I know, hey, uh, if I hit the budget early in the day or early in the week, that's it, right? I'm done for the week. So uh, I've really kind of been enjoying it because it's made me a lot more selective, I think. And uh, I really tried to change how I consume Twitter, right? I want to do it in a, in a way that's more enjoyable for me. So I've kind of made some adjustments there, and I'm really, I'm really liking it actually. This does not limit your your time spent necessarily, though, reading other people's tweets or hearting no, no. other people's tweets. No, not at all. No, you can okay. still do all of that as much as you want to do, but just my own, you know, what I tweet, what I post. Um, 
you know, how, how I kind of interact. Uh, okay. I've really enjoyed it. That's, I, I, it sounds like a good method. My problem is I spend too much time with my tweet deck up and reading all the stuff that's coming across my feed. So if you're out there and you've sent me stuff, you know I react to it at least when I put a heart on it. Uh, I, I, I feel like I don't want to react to it a lot of times, but I, I, I do love generally seeing people's tweets and that le- leads me to use it hours per day as it is. How about your podcast, Michael? So the Deep Cover Podcast, Deep Cover Podcast, we're on iTunes, we're on Spotify, I guess pretty much everywhere you get your, your podcast. Uh, been in a bit of a hiatus status, have some some life situations going on in the group. And so we kind of had to step away from it for the last couple of weeks. Hopefully we get back to it. Everybody's OK. Nothing, you know, from a serious health consequence or anything like that to worry about. But just we're all, you know, young to, you know, middle aged guys with young kids and just, you know, life is happening a lot. So <laughs> it's just the way it goes. Gotcha. Gotcha. Okay. Well, definitely give that a shot when, uh, uh, when you're back out there. Uh, Josh, uh, what, what do we have to tell folks about? Uh, busy week over at Film Study Baltimore. Uh, articles are starting to go up. Uh, there's a new situation room that's up and out there. The defensive podcast is out there. Um, day after you listen to this, the Know Your Foe will be out there. We still got to buy the numbers before Monday night. And uh, one day we'll be back to Sunday football. There'll be an offensive line article on Saturday at this point uh, that'll have all this grading that we talked about tonight and, and uh, a little more detail on the game. Uh, thanks again for joining us. Michael, it's such a pleasure to have on you here. And sometimes, you know, I complain about you talking too long in the shows. It's me. It's, I love to talk football with you. That's the problem, buddy, is we, <laughs> we get on these shows and there's, there's just no one I'd rather talk to for now an hour and 25 minutes here. Well, I appreciate that, and I hope that the listeners don't mind. I, I, I'm not, I'm not on one like super regularly, so I hope that gives a little uh, buffer in between when <laughs> and have these long sort of discussions. But I enjoy it too. You know that. That's why we go on the way that we do because we both enjoy it and enjoy talking to each other. So it's always a good time, and, and I appreciate you guys having. Me. All right, Michael, and we'll catch you next time you're on, and talk to you next time on Film Study. <laughs> Introducing the Lowe's List for Innovation. While our aisles are filled with innovative products, we've selected our favorites just for you. Like the exclusive Whirlpool Washer with industry-first two-in-one removable agitator. We love this washer because you can customize any load. And with other smart features to streamline your laundry routine, this product is a must-have for families. Shop the full Lowe's list of top picks at Lowe's.com. Lowe's, home to any budget, home to any possibility. U.S. only. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.
Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get three-pound rolls of juicy 80% lean ground beef for $3.49 a pound with a digital coupon. Then get select varieties of flavorful Powerade, Body Armor Super Drink, or Arizona Tea for 77 cents each, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.